You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Mark Kirkhoff has covered sports for the Kansas City Star since 1989. He covers local and national college sports, Major League Baseball, the NFL, and probably anything else the editors at the Star ask him to cover. He's covered conference realignment, BCS championship games, the start of the college football playoff, numerous Final Fours, MLB playoffs, World Series, and even a couple of Super Bowls. Native of North Carolina, actually born in Pittsburgh, but grew up in North Carolina and a graduate of Appalachian State. He's one of the, also one of the best-liked sports writers in America. I don't know anybody who knows Blair who doesn't say, boy, what a great guy. So, Blair, welcome to Sports Connections. Hey, thanks for the nice words, David. Really happy to be on with you. All right. Well, let's talk about your background. How did you get involved in sports writing? In, um, so I grew up, as you said, in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, by the way, not, not Kansas. So, uh, um, but uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas, of course, named for Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I, I came to find out later. But, you, you know, when I, was, when I was a kid growing up there, and it was just young, just started elementary school, my parents, you know, they, they weren't college graduates, but they were really well-read people. Our, our house was always full of magazines and books and newspapers. We took every newspaper you, you could subscribe to. And I can remember, you know, going outside and getting the newspaper every day before my parents had a chance to read it. I'd go get it. I'd open it up and read and look at the pictures and read the headlines. And, and, um, and, and, and then I, probably before I developed a love for sports, I developed a love of just the printed word. Uh, but then I did develop a, a love for sports. And then I just kind of put those two things together. As much as I love sports and I played, I participated up and through high school, I was never good enough to go beyond that. Uh, but I always wrote. And wherever I had a chance to write, whether it's for high school publications, college publications, I always took that opportunity. And, and then that, that, that got me my first job in journalism. When did you figure out you were good at it? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if it, when anybody starts, if they're good at it, um, but which maybe you, you're good enough to be critiqued. You know, you, 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 a teacher or some other adult will see something that you've written and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe not think, boy, that's, uh, that, that's great stuff. But, you know, with a little help, with some guidance and some editing, um, maybe we can mold this person into something. And so I, I think, getting some encouraging words from especially teachers in, in high school, professors in college really helped. And then once your stuff gets out there a little bit, once you get published, printed, now the public is a critique of, yeah. of your work and you get feedback from the public. And, you know, early on, some of that was positive enough to keep me going. And, and look, it, then it, then start getting me into press boxes and what, what better place to hang out on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon than in a press box. And I was, I was taken when I was young. And I think, I think young writers tend to overcomplicate it. I, I was given some advice when I, I right out of college, I didn't major in journalism, but I went to work for Newsday. My, ver my first journalism job was at the ninth largest newspaper in the country. Uh, and I was writing, covering high school sports, and an editor that nobody liked called me over one time. I, he had asked me to write a story, uh, and I said, sure. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to learn how to do it better, and called me over, and he says, you realize you're not any good at this, don't you? And I said, well, 
thanks for sharing that, Chris. But no, I didn't realize that. He said, but there's potential. And he gave me some tips. Some of them I still use today when I get writer's block. He, he said, pretend your best friend wants to know about this game, but didn't get to watch it or didn't get to attend it. What would you, what would you tell him first? And then what would you tell him? And basically he explained the inverted pyramid, but there are so many times where I'm like, okay, what do I start with? Oh, well, you know, Salvador Perez hit a walk-off home run. Well, anybody can figure that out, but maybe the, the crucial element of the game was in the fifth inning, you know, when Salvador Perez threw out a runner trying to steal second with first and third and two outs. And so, you know, what's the most important thing? And he, and he worked with me, but he basically encouraged me to work myself. And I think it's so easy to, to expect to be ready for, you know, Sports Illustrated or, you know, Newsday or something like that right out of the shoot. And that's not going to be the case. No, no, it, it certainly wasn't when we were younger. That That's for sure. It's the world's changed a little bit now. There, there are there are probably more occasions where somebody out of college who has sh- who shows a lot of potential gets a a job that it's like oh my gosh that that would never have happened or been available to me. Yeah. But like like yourself, I, I that my first newspaper job was taking high school scores over the phone on a weekday night at the newspaper in Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, and. And, and, and one thing that, that I did was I, I, I basically read everybody else and observed everybody else and just, okay, this is how they do it. And if I can, if I can figure out a way to do this, then maybe, maybe I can make money someday doing it. So we all had our favorite writers when we were kids. It's, it, and a lot of times because of our age, it was the, the sports writers in the market where you lived. And, and I, I had mine and I, I just, I just wanted to be like those you know, those folks. And, 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 um, and that's, that's what my mindset was at that time. And you mentioned something early with one of your early answers, which I think is important. You talked about your love for sports. There's an awful lot of sports writers out there that really don't like sports, but it's a, it's a job. I don't know how they do it, to be honest with you. I, you know, my, my wife gets mad at me when I come home from covering a baseball game and she says, well, it's too bad the Royals lost. And I say, I can root for the Royals. It's not going to enter in my story, but I'll root for them. But once the seventh, seventh inning ends, I'm for whoever's ahead. I don't want to have to rewrite. And But I think, you, I think it's really important to be a fan, if you're writing about sports, to be a fan at least of the sport, if not the team to a certain extent, to really understand what's going on. Do you agree with that? Well, I think, I think you have to care. Um, for, you know, for, for the sport and for the, obviously for the profession, you wouldn't be in it, but certainly for the sport, I, I just think that, that, that creates the curiosity needed to, you know, to question what's going on and, 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 uh, you know, use that as uh, if you're talking to managers, coaches, players after the game, you really do have to have some basis of knowledge for what you're talking about. And, you know, I, 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 you, you said something that has that has resonated with me my my entire life. It didn't I didn't realize it for most of it, but as you as you grow into the business, you really do pull for yourself. I mean, yeah, we we all listen. We all think it's great and it's good for the community when local teams win, when the Royals and Chiefs and if, pick your favorite college wins. Um, but when you're working 
And, you know, you, maybe you're in a, in a press box, you're living in Kansas City and you're in a press box in Columbia or Manhattan or Lincoln or Norman or someplace like that. And, um, you know, what you don't want is three overtimes and, you know, and, um, and, and, and something that's going to delay, you know, uh, you know the, the game. And that, that's one of the dirty little secrets, I think, of, of doing what we do is the extent to which we pull for ourselves. Um, it's a bonus and it's great when the, when the, the team that you're covering wins makes it easier for everybody. Um, yeah. everybody's happy, uh, but you do your job one way or the other. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, I don't know if you remember the first time we met Blair, we, uh, <laughs> we were both covering a Kansas state basketball game in Colorado. It was January or February of 1990. You had just started with the star the previous year. Um, I was living in Manhattan covering K-State basketball. K-State was supposed to be pretty good that year. Colorado wasn't. K-State went out there and got beat. Um, I'm going to retell the story, uh, but do you remember that that particular event that I'm talking about? I don't know if I remember the game itself, the event. I do remember that K-State team with Steve Henson um, yeah. and Lon Kruger's last team that he, that he coached for, for K-State. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think I remember the event. Okay, well, basically what happened after the game, you and I were talking and Rick Dean, who covered K-State for the Cap Journal, uh, was there. And you and I are basically the same age. I think I've got you by about a year. And I think Rick's like three or four years older than than we are. So I had just, I was 31. You had just turned 30. Rick was 33, 34. And we were bummed. It was an early, you know, reasonably early game. We didn't want to go back to the hotel and just stew about it. So I don't remember who it was. It was you or Rick said, I know this place. And he basically described what's now known as a sports bar. Back then it was, it was kind of an unusual thing. He said, I know a place where they've got TVs all around the room, wherever you are, you can watch a game. Let's just go out there with good food. You know, if you want to get something to drink, that's fine. We'll, we'll go out there and, and we'll just eat dinner and, and just chat about the game. Okay. Sounds good. So we went out to dinner and, we step up and uh, <laughs> Rick went, Rick went first. And I think, no, I think you went first, showed your, they were checking everybody's ID. You know, you went in, you waited for us. Then Rick went and he said, we want to be, we want to sit somewhere um, where we can see a TV. And the guy kind of rolled his eyes and he says, you can see a TV everywhere. <laughs> and so he said, I think there's an empty table back in the corner. And then I step up and I said, I had just turned 31. And back then I looked quite a bit younger than I was and I'm, it's catching up with me now, but I step up and I showed him my idea and, and the, or I, I said, I'm with those two guys. And they said, can we see some ID? And I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, you have to be 18 to drink. <laughs> and so I pull out my driver's license and show him the, the date of birth. And he, he kind of looks at it, looks back at me, he goes, go sit in the corner. <laughs> and sent us back there and Rick is just writing me just, you know, little kid and all this stuff until you put him in his place. You said, Hey, Rick, they thought you were his dad. <laughs> <laughs> now, Rick's a great guy, you know, and he took it. He, he laughed harder than either one of us did, but that's when I recognized that not only was Blair Kirkhoff a really good writer, he had a great sense of humor and a quick wit. So where did that, where did that sense of humor come from and how does that help you stay grounded when you're covering a, a world of sports that's sometimes kind of muddy? 
Well, I guess it is, um, it, but it is sports too. Uh, let, let's not lose sight of what we do and, um, and, and how you know, significant or insignificant it is in the, in the grand scheme of things. Where the humor comes from, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I laugh easily and, uh, and I'm, I'm drawn to comedies more than dramas, that sort of thing. And, uh, and so, but you know, listen, being on the road with other sports writers, when I look back on the years, the decades in, in sports writing, that's the fun. I mean, yeah. listen, we, we love being in the events and the games and people who kind of don't know what we do, but just sort of, you know, know that we're sports writers. They, they probably look at that part and say, that's, you know, boy, if I could, I wish I could do that. Well, as, as I'm in the fourth quarter, probably deep in the fourth quarter of my career, um, I, the, the things that I look back fondly are, are moments like what you just described, just being out with sports writers after games and traveling together. And there were years when people like yourself and, and the, the sports writers at the Cap Journal, um, the ones at the Journal World, the ones in Columbia, Missouri, uh, where I, I saw more of them than my neighbors because we're, we were always on the road together. Um, I've got, I've got photographs of, you know, of, of old cap journal guys and me standing outside of restaurants and bars and, and, oh my gosh, the, the, the good times that we had. And, um, man, I, you got me, you got me all choked up a little bit <laughs> because I, that, that is the, that is the great joy of what we do. The camaraderie, I think the because because we can commiserate a little bit when we're on the road as well when we're together in those moments because there there is a probably a, a probably a pretty wide lack of understanding of, of what what we do and and it's like only another sports writer can understand just like in, that's true of any profession ours is just a little more high profile than than some and it's it's interesting there certainly is competition. Um, you know, we're all covering the same event and we want to write it. We want to have the best story about it, but there isn't a perfect way to write a story. And, and the way that was illustrated to me is uh, in the last couple of years, I've, and I'm not giving away a secret, both services that I work for know about it. But when I'm covering Royals games at the stadium, I'm covering it for two different wire services at the same time. And when, when I was first approached about that, I said, how in the world do you do that? How do you keep the story? Because they don't care. They know I'm a contractor and they know that I'm, you know, that I'm writing for the other one. They say, as long as the story is different, that's all we care about. And, and I will go back after the fact. I'm not going to get the, into the details here because this is about you, not me. But I will go back after the fact and read the two different stories and say, well, I didn't see that in that story. And I, I didn't see that in this the stories are so different covering the exact same game at the exact same time. There's no perfect way to do it. So the competition on who's writing a better story dissipates quickly when we realize we're doing the same thing. And Hey, did you see that? And how did you write about that? I think that's what you're talking about with that camaraderie. Well, and I'll tell you this, you're, you're more skilled at it than I was. When I was in college at Appalachian state, we were so remote from uh, a, a major cities that had daily newspapers and, and we were up in the mountains. And so when it snowed, they didn't send reporters up there. So I, I, I did a lot of stringing for what, what we call stringing yeah. for newspapers in Charlotte and Winston-Salem and Asheville. And sometimes 
covering the same event for all three papers, which meant, you know, did I have to write three different stories? I kind of didn't. I would write one story and put different leads on all of them. <laughs> and so it was a big kick for me when I was in college to, to go to the newspaper box and in those uh, for those newspapers and read read my stories in three different papers with different leads. But the, but basically when the jump came, it was all the same thing. Yeah. And, and that's what makes a, a, a walk-off win so difficult because I'm writing two game stories <laughs> and, and my deadline's three minutes after the last out or the, or the winning run scores. And so if I've got to rewrite two, that's, that's a problem. All right. You've, we've talked about the fact that you, you cover professional sports a lot. seems like a lot more in the last few years where you used to be, mostly college sports, but you've, you've done both. What's your favorite? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Cause I did, I, I, I was a college six, almost exclusively college sports guy for almost 30 years. And um, when I came to Kansas city, I was covering KU and K state and then the big 12 and then national colleges. And, and, and then, um, and then the world, the journalism world changed a little bit, you know, we yeah. newspapers started shrinking and staff started shrinking and, we, we decided and newspapers all decided that, you know, you better be hyper local in what you cover. So, um, so instead of going to a Nebraska or an Oklahoma game or an Oklahoma state game, you know, if it didn't involve KUK state or Missouri, we weren't interested as interested as we used to be. Right. And, um, and so they, they decided to put more bodies started on, on covering the chiefs and the Royals. So that's kind of how that happened. I, I suppose I, I've been, I've enjoyed all everything that I've done. I I did like having the you know the ability to go to a Michigan Ohio State game or back in the day Florida Florida State or um, or the whatever the Big Twelve game of the week was. But when when we decided not to do that and and, and just you know put our energies into more energy into Royals and Chiefs, it happened to be when. Andy Reid gets to Kansas City and, you know, the, the, the Royals start, you know, start winning in a way that they hadn't won in 30 years. Yeah. The timing couldn't have been better for, for me having, getting to, getting to cover the 2014 and 15 Royals, you know, all the playoff games and, you know, and, and seeing every Chiefs game from like 2015 through last year, you know, through, through almost to this year, that that's just been a great joy. And to be, you know, to be in the kind of have a front row seat to the, I think the best era of Kansas City professional sports. It's it's been a privilege. So you don't have a preference, just well, enjoying. Well, I, I suppose. Well, there, you know what? There, there's pros and cons to both. Yeah. I would say at, at the college level, being in Allen Fieldhouse or being at a Kansas State football game when the when the place is packed and the excitement level is what it is, there, there are no better places on earth. There, there really aren't. I mean, th- those are just unbelievable atmospheres and you get jazzed when you're there be- because of that. Um, but I, what I, what I have preferred, and this, I guess we're going to have to qualify this as the pre COVID era. I love the clubhouse in baseball yes. and being able to go, you know, right up to the ball players and, 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 and develop a story and having the open locker room in the NFL and going right up to a player and, you know, and chatting about the previous week's games and what's coming up this week and getting to know them a little bit better. Now, that's ended for all of us since COVID, and we'll, we'll see to what extent it returns yeah. when the masks come off on a, on a, in a permanent way, but that doesn't happen in college. And from, a, you know, from an excitement standpoint, 
you know, be even a full house at Kaufman or a full house at Arrowhead. I don't know if that's the same as, um, you know, it has to almost has to be a playoff level that you get every time you go to a Kansas state football game or, or KU basketball game. And, and, you know, you know, I'm not giving away any secrets, you know, I'm a K state or I went to grad school there. And, you know, the first, the first, uh, night I went to a game at a Hearn field house. So even before Bramlage Coliseum, and I didn't really know much about K-State basketball. The next morning I was shaving and I cut myself and it was purple. And so I, <laughs> I say, I, I bleed purple. I will still say the best college basketball atmosphere in the country. And I've been at Pauley Pavilion to Cameron Indoor and, and Dean Dome and a lot of different places, the best college basketball atmosphere is Allen Fieldhouse on a, on a KU game day. So I, I agree with that, that side of it for sure. I, my, one of my regrets is not being here in time to, to have seen a game at Ahern. I, you know, I've heard stories about the atmosphere there uh, when, when it was packed, especially when KU came, and, and I just missed that. I, I was here for the second year of Bramlage, okay. and, um, and, and, and I would love to have seen a game at Old Ahern, um, the stories that, that I've heard. And, you know, yeah. we haven't mentioned Missouri in any of this, and it's, Missouri's kind of falls somewhere in between. Um, I, I've been to Missouri football games that have just been just electric, electric, yeah. and 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 basketball too. When when they've been good in basketball, but it's been it's been too long. But um, uh, but just for on, on a more consistent basis, um, KSU Stadium and and, uh, and Allen Fieldhouse are, are are just fantastic places. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about the college beat. Um, I, I interviewed one of your uh, close friends, I'm sure, former colleague. Maybe you overlapped a little bit at the start, Dennis Dodd. And I asked him this recently regarding college football. How do you respond to the people who criticize the college football playoff, most specifically the selection process? Yeah, um, I'll be curious to know what Dennis said. Dennis is as good as there is covering college sports these days, as good as there is in the country. He's, he's devoted to great portion of his professional career to it. Like I'm, I'm, um, I'm okay with criticism of, of the process. Uh, I think that there are, uh, there are people who, who, who are, whose hearts are in the right places, who want to do the right thing and believe that the, 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 you know, every step of the way going from, you know, no playoff to a coalition, to a two team BCS championship to now the college football playoff, and now looking at a, you know, a multi, you know, more than four, we don't know if it's going to be eight or 12 or whatever the next step is. They're all wanting to do the right thing and, mm-hmm. and think that that is the, you know, the right path. And I think what, what's happened is the, the, the volume of criticism for the formats has just increased because social media is what it is. And, um, they hear more from fan bases than, than ever before. Um, and whenever a team you know, kind of gets hosed or is perceived to get hosed to be the first team out or whatever, they're, you know, they're, they're, they, hear, they hear from the, the fan base. So I'm, um, I, I think there's, it's an imperfect way to determine a college football champion, but it's an imperfect sport when yeah. you have schools that, you know, different conferences with different number of teams that have different budgets um, that, that aren't the, you know, just taking college football, it's not the NFL. There's not, you know, there, there's no uh, draft. There's no scheduling uh, arrangement so that the, you know, the, 
you know, if you finish last in the Big 12, you get to play the last place team in the, you know, in the Big 10 and the SEC. There, right. there, there is no revenue sharing. Texas can be, can spend as much as it wants on coaches and facilities and, um, and NFL teams have a limit on what they can spend on players. So I think, I think the college football postseason system is a reflection of what college football is an imperfect system trying to, to be as right as it can at the end of the day. Two things you, you talked about the first team out and you, you and I are both friends with Joe Lenardi. And he talked about the fact that if we increase the NCAA tournament to 96 teams or 128, as some people w- want to do uh, to double the 64. So there's no buys. He said, somebody will complain about being team number 129, even though they have no business even lacing up the shoes one more time. So we're not going to solve the thing. What the, the approach Dennis took was uh, he was, you know, like you, he said, it's an imperfect system to, to govern an imperfect sport, but he, he took exception to how Cincinnati, and this was, we interviewed him right after the first um, pairings were announced and it will air him in the coming weeks. But because he, you know, even though we interviewed him then and we're going to release it later on, this, this, the narrative is still the same. The committee screwed it up. They, they hosed somebody. Uh, but he talked right. about how, you know, how do you, when you don't have equal scheduling, uh, when you don't have equal expectations of the team, how do you ignore an undefeated team that beat somebody else, that beat somebody else and, and, and put in somebody? So I think he, he got a little more animated <laughs> than you did. Excuse me, but uh, Dennis tends to get animated. Anyway, I've known him longer than I've known you because we worked together in, in the early 80s uh, at the start. So let's talk about the playoff. Do you think we'll see a 12-team playoff? I do. I, I remember when I, when I first heard about it uh, back in the summer and uh, just about how it would operate, not who formed it and – um, and, and who was on the committee, but how it would operate. I just thought that that's what you need right there. Six, auto, six teams that automatically qualify and then six at-larges. And in the current 65-team structure of college football, that seems to be the, the, the best solution. It, uh, it, it, it triples the amount of teams that can play. It doesn't limit the number of teams from any one conference. Um, it you know, you, everybody would feel, I think, has a more fair chance of, of being in the field. And I even like the way it was formatted with buys for, for the top four teams. Notre Dame could never be a top four team. So uh, the highest they could be is five. Um, and then, you know, home games for five through eight against nine through 12. Anyway, I really liked what I heard there. And then a few days later or sometime, whatever it was, sometime later, we get the news of Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12. And and then all of a sudden, college football is up in arms. The, the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten are furious at the SEC, which had a seat at the table to, to script the 12-team playoff along with Bob Bowlesby of the Big 12 and, um, and of course, Craig Thompson of the Mountain West. Um, so we don't know where it's going to be. And I, I think almost as a form of retribution, those three other power conferences – are, are, are less excited about the 12 team playoff, knowing that that's what the sec really wants. Yeah. And, and, and so we'll have to wait and see, but I, I do hope that they end up settling on a 12 team playoff. I, I, I think if, 
for now in, in, in a 65 team college football structure. And although I don't think, you know, I, I, at some point it may not be 65 teams, it could be fewer than that, but and under the current, you know, format of college football, a 12 team playoff seems the most fair to me. And it's funny, you talk about the other conferences, the, the big 10, the ACC and the, and the PAC 12 PAC 12 has been left out of the playoff a lot. Um, ACC is probably going to get left out this year. Um, that though they're cutting off their nose to spite their face because unless Alabama lays an egg against Auburn or, or against Mississippi state or gets blown out in the sec championship, you're going to have Georgia and Alabama that leaves two spots. And so, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it needs to be done. Uh, Dennis wasn't so sure. That's why I want to get different opinions on on whether it's actually going to actually going to happen or not. All right, switch switch sports a little bit. Will we see a Power Five or if you want to include Big East, a Power Six college basketball tournament where the Cinderellas don't get in? Yeah, that that's a you know that was an off season topic, right? That the that there there should become some kind of breakaway of power schools from the NCAA. And if, if that happens, it would be football driven. But if that happens, uh, what, what, what would happen to the NCAA tournament? Would, would you, would you have a tournament that doesn't include, that includes only a handful of conferences and not the, whatever it is, the 32, whatever, however many we have in division one now up to 350 schools. Yeah. And that is that is an unknown. It's a great unknown right now because there is um, the NCAA basketball tournament. We as, as much as we talk about the imperfect way of college football postseason and and um, organizers trying to to just catch up with the a, 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 the best way of, of crowning a college football champion. College basketball got it right decades ago with its 64 team bracket. And I think yep. 1985 was the first year of that. And, right. and it's just been, it's just been perfect. It's the, it's the perfect mix of, you know, historic, traditional historical power favorites and wonderful Cinderella underdog stories. Um, uh, that's what the first weekend of the NCAA tournament may be the best four days in sports. And, and, and now power conferences are, you know, are, are whispering, you know, maybe we shouldn't, you know, we, maybe we should have our own tournament and you do that. Then what, what's the, what's the difference between something like that and an expanded Maui invitational or, yeah. you know, or preseason NIT. So I, I, I hope, listen, I understand why the power conf, the power schools, the schools in those power conferences want to have a separate governing structure uh, these schools don't want, you know, St. Francis, either one, New York or Pennsylvania, to have the same voice in, you know, in, in legislation that Oklahoma, Texas, Ohio State, Alabama have. Um, but the St. Francis's and the Stony Brooks of the world need the money that comes from the NCAA tournament. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the end we're going to see a NCAA basketball arrangement almost like what we had in the big 12 for, for a few years, maybe the first decade. And that was the power programs, the Texas, the Nebraska, the Texas a ms getting a greater share of the revenue than the KU's, K-States, Iowa States. Um, uh, and, 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 and maybe that's the way college basketball is going to have to work where, 
the, the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, the Big 10, um, get a, just a greater share in the voice of how sports are run than the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference or the Northeast Conference or the Big Sky. Um, and, and that way we saved the NCAA basketball tournament. I, I probably should have warned you ahead of time. I was going to ask you to put on your, your Nostradamus hat because I'm going to keep asking you predictions. Uh, but this is great stuff. You know, you, know, you are one of the most educated, most articulate sports writers I know. So I really like uh, hearing your opinion on these things. So next question about conference realignment. It seems like the remaining Big 12 teams after Oklahoma and Texas left are in the most jeopardy. Now, I, I think their additions will, will buy them some time. Uh, certainly, I think it's going to be even a better basketball conference. And I'm not sure how much lower, how much worse it's going to be in football. It doesn't have the credibility, doesn't have the, the attention, but I think it's going to still be a good conference. But it seems like the remaining Big 12 teams are in more jeopardy than any of the other Power 5 schools. Where does, in your opinion, where do schools, say 10 years from now, schools like K-State, Iowa State, Baylor, TCU, where do they end up? You're right about the, uh, the position of those schools. It, it is less without Oklahoma and Texas. And the, the place where it is most impacted is the television right. contracts. And the money. Um, it was even Bob, Bob, yeah, Bob Bowlesby himself said, um, I want to say it was Bob, it could have been one of the athletic directors at one of the schools who said the value of, of the Big 12 TV deals without Texas and Oklahoma is 50% of, of, of what it currently is. And what it currently is is enough to be the third best paying conference among the Power Five schools ahead of the, the ACC and Pac-12. So that's a, that's a tough place to start. I'm not, I'm not sure, as much as I like the four schools that were added to the Big 12, and there may be two more coming after, behind them at some point, and I like those schools as well, um, they're not going to bring the value of Oklahoma in Texas. So I think the, where, where this is 10 years from now is two places. One, uh, the Big 12 continues to exist. Uh, continues to exist with the schools that are currently in it and the, uh, the, the ones that are coming in. And it's going to exist on a, on a level less than the SEC and the Big Ten and a financial level. And so when we, we, right now we talk about it as the power five. I think at some point we're going to talk about it as the power four and a half. Um, schools that may not be getting, you know, might not, won't be getting $50 million a year from TV deals or the Big 12 now is it's somewhere 35 to 40 million. You know, maybe that goes down to 25 million, but it's much better than what other conferences, you know, uh, Mid America, Conference USA, Mountain West. You know, you, you want to be in the Big 12 um, and, and not in one of those, you know, the American conference. So um, that's okay. I, I, I kind of, I'm saddened by the idea that we live in a part of the country that doesn't belong, that won't belong to a conference that is seen as one of the best in, in the, you know, in the top two or three in the country. I, I think this part, of, this part of the country deserves to have that. And it's always had that historically. And we won't um, if, you know, if it continues to play out the way it's playing out, but it's better than, you know, being picked apart by another conference. And, and that's what it could have happened if Bob Bowlesby hadn't acted quickly to add, you know, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, and, and, and uh, Central Florida. You know, it's, 
the flip side of that is we live in a part of the country where it doesn't take us, you know, half the day to get to and from work because there's not that many people living here. So that's the flip side of not enough eyeballs. And when people ask me, I'll go to church or wherever, and people say, is the Big 12 done? It's not going to be the same. But, you know, if, if the Big 12 did not have potential, if the Big 12 still didn't have potential to earn revenue, if it was still not going to be a power conference, do you think Cincinnati and, and uh, Houston and was it Central or South Florida? Central. Central Florida and BYU, you think they would have jumped as quickly as they did? They, that was a major step up. Oh, for sure. You, you saw the uh, the reaction, especially like at Cincinnati. They had a Big Twelve flag flying the <laughs> you know the, the weekend after the announcement at their at their football game. Um, they are absolutely thrilled to be part of this conference. And yeah. and to be honest with you, look, it, we love our college football. We we do. I, I wish it was a little better around here than than it has been in the last few years. I, I wish we were talking about the the national championship chances for K-State or, or Missouri, um, but but we absolutely love our college basketball, and those four schools are going to be, be, be a great addition to the Big 12, and it's going to keep the basketball tournament up and running in Kansas City, and from a, just from a selfish standpoint, that was yeah. the most important thing to me. Make, you know, what, what's it going to, what, what, what does conference realignment do for Kansas City? Well, it doesn't hurt it one bit, and it's probably going to help it. Uh, you know, the, the, you're going to add another day to the tournament, or at least more games to the tournament, and the women's tournament's coming back to Kansas City, so it's going to be yeah. a week of conference basketball here, and I love that. And I will disagree with you on one thing. I think it's going to be the big two the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference and the ACC and and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 will be a tier below them. And then you'll have the Mountain West and the American Conference and Conference USA and stuff like that. I, I don't think that ACC and the Pac-12 have the quality or the, or the number of, of eyeballs to, to keep up with the SEC uh, and the Big Ten. There's, uh, there's some school of thought that you know, you take the best of the SEC, the best of the Big Ten, the couple of schools at the top of the ACC, and then USC and what you know, whatever from the Oregon from Pac-12, and you have a basically a 32-team top division in college football, and everybody else is in the rest of you know Division One, and, and and that top 32 teams will just just like the NFL, right? Play, yeah. they'll only play each other. They'll command all the TV money, the bowl games, and um, I don't think that's going to happen in my professional lifetime, but that should suge- suggest that my professional lifetime has an end date. And, uh, <laughs> and it might, you know, it just might happen in the next, you know, maybe not this next round of TV contracts, that, which are coming up in the next yeah. four or five years, but the ones after the one after that. And it could be it could be like uh, European soccer where you have you have uh, I forget. Yeah. Relegation. Um I mean that 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 may not be a terrible thing. I mean if you're if if you're good enough, you know, K State under Bill Snyder was ne- was never going to be one of the big boys, but they played their way up into that top tier. And, um, and every yeah, and, and a couple of times in his tenure there, they 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 were at the doorstep of being yeah. in the national championship game. So yeah. um, that that was the kind of the beauty of uh, of. Uh, well, when I look, when I think of the 12 team, we did, we actually did a story on this. If, if college football had a 12 team playoff during the Bill Snyder era, 
K-State would have been in the playoffs, you know, six, seven times. And Missouri yes. would have been in five, four, four or five times. And even KU would have been in it once. <laughs> yeah. That 2007 season. So, yeah. Um, and, and, if we, and once you're in, as we know in other sports, you know, take the Atlanta Braves, right? Once you're in the postseason, no matter what your regular season record is, you've got a chance. Yeah. No, for sure. All right. And kind of a, a different look at the same question. Uh, we talk about the SEC and the, and the Big Ten, but are schools like Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and the SEC, Wake Forest um, in, in the ACC, Washington State and the Pac-12, they're in these Power Five conferences. Are they in trouble of being left out even though they're in those healthy conferences? Yeah, look, if, 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 there is, if, if college sports ever does go to this top tier of, yeah. of just – the, the, the programs that generate the eyeballs, you know, that get the television ratings and the schools that you name do not, um, then yes, they absolutely are in jeopardy. And right now they're the, you know, they're, they're, the, they're fortunate to be in the conferences that have um, the, 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 the highest interest, right? The SEC with Alabama and Florida and LSU, name all the SECs and Ohio State, the big, you know, Clemson, and the ACC, USC, Oregon, and the Pac-12. And until, you know, whenever it happens, Texas and Oklahoma in this conference, yeah. you, you take the Texas and Oklahoma out of the other conferences and they're, you know, they're what the Big 12 will end up being. Yeah. Um, so it's just that's just that's the way of the world. It's the way of the college sports world. And um, you're, but you're right. Those schools that you named and we can name some more um, that. that they, they right now are fortunate to be uh, associated with schools that's, that, that are seen to be value, you know, great, of great value to uh, the TV networks. And you think about, you, you think about the, that 16 major program conference. You know, you got Alabama and probably Auburn, LSU, Florida, Georgia. There's five from the SEC, pretty easy. Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. There's half of the 16, you know, USC, Oregon, maybe UCLA, Clemson, Florida State. You're, you're Texas, filling Oklahoma. that up. Yeah, Texas and Oklahoma. You pretty well filled that 12. Somebody's going to finish last. Are That's the right. fans, are the fans of Texas or, or the fans of Nebraska, you know, look how they're, look how they're trying to get rid of Scott Frost, you know, are they going to settle for being the lowest ranked team in this super mega conference where right now, now obviously right now, Nebraska is not doing well, but you know, Oklahoma and Texas are, are doing well. And, and Georgia's number one, somebody's going to finish it dead last in that conference. Right. If it's an NFL style setup and someone is not only going to finish last, but they're going to, they're going to have a horrible, the worst record maybe they've had in forever. And, and listen, we, we know how rational college football fans are, <laughs> how accepting they'll be of, of the, those that type of situation. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point, David, that um, a, a new structure that includes only the best of the best means someone's going to be really bad. And they're, they're going to at least have a really bad record. And they're going to have to answer to that. And in uh, um, in the NFL and in pro sports, you know, you understand uh, rebuilding and you know, reloading, that sort of thing. Uh, college sports, there's just an expectation at certain places that you're going to be good and 
anything less than 10 wins is unacceptable. And, you know, that, that's true of basketball as well. Can with Kansas and Kentucky Duke, anything less than what X number of wins or a ranking or whatever is unacceptable. Well, it'll start to be acceptable and, and, um, and, 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 uh, and really hurtful to, to the fans of those schools if they have their own kind of um, separate, you know, league or conference or whatever you want to call it, uh, super conference. Yeah, it's, it's be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I was, as you were talking about the worst record, I'm thinking Florida State's going to have the worst record in football since they were an all-girls school. Yeah, so, uh, I, I don't know how good they were in football back then, but um, probably <laughs> not as good even as they are now. All right. I like to wrap up the interviews. I, I, I love interviewing people in sports, whether they're journalists uh, or coaches or athletes or whatever. I love this part of it. And I like to get I like to let my listeners inside a little bit. So tell me about your family. I'll be happy to. Um, so Karen and I have been married since 1984, uh, knew each other in, um, so we went to rival high schools in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. She went to Cary and, and, um, and that was a rival high school of mine. So we, we met there and gosh, we would just, you know, uh, we, we moved to Kansas city in 1989 and had the first of our three kids and our, our three kids were born within uh, five years, uh, here in Kansas city. So even though both of us grew up in North Carolina and I'm from Pennsylvania and she lived in other places. We consider Kansas city our home because this is where we dropped the anchor and planted the roots and had our three kids, Nate, Ben, and Anna. Um, and we, I live in, in the South part of the Metro area. They all, they all went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, that's, there's, that didn't happen with me or my wife. There's a great value in having that happen. And, uh, um, and of course, they love this area so much that none of them live here. <laughs> um, they all went to college and, and went to different and then scattered to different places. My son's a he's a uh, he's a sergeant in the U.S. Army, uh, my oldest, Nate, and um, he is in uh, Seoul, South Korea, uh, married and and um, loves his life there. I have another son, Ben, who lives in Denver, and my daughter, Anna, lives in Montreal. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's appreciate you asking about that. I'm so thrilled to have them. And with the holidays coming up, that's, that's kind of when we, we can count on seeing them. We try to see them, and we talk to them all the time, and try to see them as much as we can, but we know we can see them at the holidays, and really looking forward to seeing our, our kids again. But we've had, a, we've had an empty house now for, um, for a few years. Um, a lot of space in our house. Any grandkids? No, not yet. Our oldest one's married, uh, but but no grandkids yet. And I, I'm, I'm torn between reminding him that I don't have grandkids <laughs> and, and, and leaving that topic alone because yeah. I don't. I, so, um, uh, but we're, we're I, I can't wait for that part of my life. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You can be having the worst day possible. And one of those grandkids comes in the door and says, hey, grandpa, and your day is perfect. I can guarantee you. I've got three. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a, a almost six-year-old and almost four-year-old and a one-month-old. And they're all here locally. And, and my, my daughter, who's younger than my son, had the, the older two girls. Um, and I would ask my son when he would come over with his wife, you know, when are you, you going to start jumping into this? And he'd say, dad. And I say, hey, 
we know what causes it. Dad, I know you're practicing. Dad, stop. <laughs> so yeah. you have some fun. And when the, when the daughter-in-law starts giving you dirty looks, that's when you stop. But no, it, it, it is. Back off. Okay, it's good yeah. to know. Good to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely some advice from a, from a veteran now. Um, okay, the, um, the, the very last question, um, and I ask everybody the same question. I ask um, uh, Gianluca Busio, who was 19, and I asked Bobby Bell the same question, and they had different responses. What's your legacy? Oh gosh, what's your legacy? Um, I, that's a good. That's a great question. Um, not not one that I've really ever thought about. Uh, I, I guess it. I guess it's up to others to determine what your legacy is. You know, I, I hope that when when you, when I hang it up in. And, and that's the other thing. I don't, I don't know how sports writers hang it up. I, I think you just kind of fade out. You don't, you never stop writing or, or contributing, right? you you just sort of, you do it less and you do it more on your terms or your time and that sort of thing. So I suspect that's what's going to happen to, to me. I've been, I've been the luckiest guy in the world to have done this as long as I have. And for the, you know, as many changes as the star has had to be, to do, continue to do it for, uh, for the star. So I don't know, I, I guess, Dave, if, if the, the way you'd want to be remembered is you, somebody who worked pretty hard, who, who uh, was kind of willing to do what it took to get the job done. And, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'll be remembered as a great award-winning writer or anything like that, but, but just somebody that, that, um, you know, that showed up and, 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 and did his job and, and made sure, you know, someone who cared about the product and is, as much as it gets criticized, the uh, newspapers in general, the star is the one that I, I'm most familiar with. You know, I, I always, you know, I always supported it and, and I always was proud to, and still am proud to be part of the, you know, the, you know, the folks that work down there because I, I know I'm working with people that are, uh, that they're doing more with less than at any time in, in the history of the, of the newspaper. So um, I, I suppose that's a, a long-winded way, trying to come up with something while I'm talking and not doing a good job of it. Uh, but it's, listen, it's, it's a great question. And now that, and now that I'm out of time, I'll think about it more. Well, I, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to tell you what I think your legacy is hmm. right now. And I mentioned it in the introduction. I, I'm dead serious. I've never talked to anybody in the, you know, among our colleagues, people I know well, people I just know a little bit who didn't say, Blair Kirkhoff is one of the nicest guys uh, in sports writing. So I think that's your legacy is you're one of the best liked people in this industry. And I do appreciate your time. Thank you for, for joining us. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you at a game at Allen Fieldhouse or Bill Snyder Family Stadium or Arrowhead or Kauffman Stadium or wherever else we might run into each other. This was a lot of fun, David. Thanks for, uh, for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.